and looking forward to our study, continuing study on the topic of stewardship. And today we're going to talk about trusting God, not riches. And uh, so I want to I want to uh, present first of all a text for our kind of to get us going here from after Solomon's Proverbs end in chapter 29 in chapter 30 of Proverbs we have the words of Agur the son of Jacob and in verses 8 and 9 oh actually uh, 7, 8, and 9. 7, he says, Two things I asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. So what are what are the two things here that uh, Agur says he asks of God that he says don't refuse me before I die. What does he want? Keep falsehood and lies apart. Okay, yeah. Keep, keep the removal of falsehood and lies. Deception and lies. Yes. And what's the second thing? Just enough. Give me just enough. That's right. I don't want I don't, I don't want poverty, and I don't want riches. And he goes ahead, and, and, oh, and on top of that, he says, just give me my daily bread. And then he explains why. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? And what do we, what, how would you describe that situation? Why is that, why is that, why is that not good? He is a feeling of self-sufficiency. Okay, you've got this feeling of self-sufficiency. He, I, I, I got this. I can, I can, I can take care of myself. Um, or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. What do you see there? Yeah, he's not trusting in God. If I don't have enough food, the only way I can solve this is for me to handle it. So maybe they're still trusting in self. I have too much, I trust myself. I have too little, what do I do? I trust myself, I go steal and profane the name of God. Uh, Satan. Satan is Lord of materialism. And I think it's fair to think about the fact that he will use our money. He will use our possessions, our desires to lead us down the the deep and the dark path that leads to his kingdom. Remember remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in uh, the desert. For example, in Luke 4. Um... Satan says this to Jesus, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will bow down and worship me. 
Because that's what that's what Satan wants. He wants nothing more than for mankind to worship him. But perhaps he has an even more insidious plan in mind for those who worship God. He's smart enough to know that we will never directly worship him. So he tries to tempt us to worship and depend on something, anything, but God. Some would say that Satan's greatest resource in his efforts to take our focus off of God is money. Money is universal. It affects us all. And I need to remember that whenever I'm tempted to give my love and my sense of security to my bank account, to my investments, my retirement account, or maybe even hard assets that are a reflection of those same kinds of resources that I need to trust God and not riches. So that's, that's what we're going to try to focus on today. And so our lesson aims are that uh, we will be able to explain the concept of first fruits as it relates to trusting God, to list three dangers of wealth, and to apply this concept of trusting God in dealing with our personal finances. Okay. All right. Any thoughts or comments at this point? <coughs> Craig, would you lead us in prayer? Our God and Father, we are grateful to you, Lord, for supplying our needs. We are thankful that um, we have you to depend on and, and count on, and we trust you, Lord. We ask that you would give us enough, not so much that we lose our dependency on you, and not so little that we disregard um, your, your righteousness and, and your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for all of us this morning that we can study and worship and, and fellowship together. We're so thankful for the body of Christ. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so the first area I want us to focus on is this idea of first fruits. And um, um, go ahead and open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus. We'll do some we'll do some reading to kind of set the stage for thinking about this idea of first fruits. Exodus chapter 23 and verses 14 through 17. And what I, what I want us to see here is how first fruits applies to the, uh, to, to the crops, to the, th- the, the produce of the land. Okay, Sarah, would you read this? Uh, uh, Exodus 23, 14 to 17. Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you. 
at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Also you shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labor from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord God. Okay, so here we have these appearances, these these uh, uh, times when they are to uh, assemble together and celebrate a feast to God. And we see that the, in verse 16, one of those is uh, around the Feast of Harvest and uh, also the Feast of Ingathering. And this idea of the first fruits is mentioned there. Um, if we also look over in... Uh, Leviticus chapter 23 Leviticus chapter 23 and let's look at there uh, Sarah go ahead and, and read uh, again we see at the beginning of verse of chapter 23 uh, the Lord's appointed times which they will have these holy convocations and go ahead and read uh, Sarah chapter 23 and verse 9 now that's not right 9 to 14 thank you let's do that then the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the sons of Israel and say to them when you enter the land which I'm going to give to you and reap its harvest then you shall bring in the sheath of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest he shall wave the sheath before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath, the priest, shall wave, the priest shall wave it. Now on the day when you wave the sheath, you shall offer a male lamb, one year old, without defect, for a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be then, then be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering by fire to the Lord for a soothing aroma with its drink offering, a fourth of a hen of wine. Until the same day, until you have brought in the offering of your God, you shall eat neither bread nor roasted grain nor new growth it is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwelling places thank you okay so we've got this this idea that uh, there is to be an offering to God from the first of what they reap at the time of harvest this this first fruits that they bring to God and offer to him look next back in Exodus chapter 13. And we see that the idea of first fruits doesn't apply only to uh, the, the land and its produce, but also to uh, man and animal. Uh, Exodus 13, 1 through 16. Justin, you want to read that, please? Exodus 13, 1 to 16. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. 
Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the Lord of that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time... <coughs> And when in time to come to your son, asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeemed. It shall be as a mark on your hand, or frontless between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Okay. So the idea of um, the firstborn, or in essence, uh, in some ways you might say the first fruits of man and animal belong to God because of what? What is, what is, what is, this, what is Moses relating from God here? The Israelites understood that the firstborn belonged to God. Why? Exodus. It's, it is all a reflection of, of the exodus and uh, the curse that God placed on the firstborn uh, as a part of the curse on Egypt. And, you know, we, we like to think, oh, well, this didn't affect Israel in any way. Well, uh, actually, in some ways it did. Because just like the firstborn in Egypt died... The firstborn in Egypt or in, in Israel belongs to God, and you are to redeem it. Okay, uh, and if it's an animal and you don't want to redeem it, what did the text say you do? You break its neck. Okay, not an option with uh, with mankind. How did this How did this redeeming though take place among the children of Israel with the firstborn? How did the redeeming take place? What did what what was the redemption price for the firstborn male children? I was going to say, if you were if you were poor, it was two turtle doves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two, two birds. Okay. But it was a, a lamb or. Okay, so there was there was a there was a sacrificial offering. There's also another way uh, that we're going to read about that there was a uh, an offering to God. Wasn't it through the Levites? Okay. The, for every firstborn, the Levite, the tribe of the Levites, the males in the tribe of, of the Levites were given holy unto God uh, in place of the firstborn among Israel. So let's read about that in Numbers chapter 3. <clears throat> this, in essence, was kind of a, almost in my mind, kind of a one time kind of thing. Uh, and then. Throughout the generations, then there was this, 
the sacrificial offering. But in Numbers 3, beginning in verse 5, and uh, Hannah, if you would, Numbers 3, 5 through 13. Mm-hmm. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. They shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting to do the service of the tabernacle. They shall also keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting along with the duties of the sons of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. He shall thus give the Levites to Aaron and to his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the sons of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons that they may keep the priesthood, but the layman who comes near shall be put to death. Again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I have taken the Levites from among the sons of Israel instead of every firstborn, the first issue of the womb among the sons of Israel. So the Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel from man to beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. Okay, so... The, the firstborn belongs to God. The first, the first issue belongs to God. And it, it's kind of interesting to me to see how that played out. So you had so many firstborn counted among Israel, and then you had the number of males in Levi counted. So look in chapter 3 there. Look down in verse 39. All the numbered men of the Levites whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the command of the Lord by their families, every male from a month old and upward, were 22,000. Okay? So we have that many Levites. And then if we drop down to verse 43, uh, 42, So Moses numbered all the firstborn uh, among the sons of Israel, just as the Lord had commanded him. And all the firstborn males by the number of names from a month old and upward, for their numbered men were... 22,273. So it was close. But we had more we had more Israelite firstborn than we had Levite males to serve as their substitute, wholly devoted unto God. And if we read on, we see then that they had to actually pay for those 273 and they paid that to to the Levites. Okay. <coughs> Uh, it belonged then to, to the Levites and to the priests. Um, so, uh, again, we just, we just see th- this, this concept that it belongs to God. So now you think, numbers, you know, all of this is pointing to the time that they enter the promised land. We know they don't because they're unwilling to, so they wander for 40 years. And, and can you just imagine <clears throat> that after 40 years of wilderness wandering, that you know, God is going to require the first fruits of the land before they get to enjoy that. Uh, they've been eating manna and quail. Manna and quail. Manna, manna, manna and quail for 40 years. <laughs> Anybody, you know, I don't know what, what your stance is on leftovers, you know, but, you know, you're always, <laughs> we're ready for something new after that third, maybe second, <laughs> maybe fourth time. But for them, manna and quail, they're, they're ready for something else. But when they got into the land, the first of the produce was to belong to God. Look in Deuteronomy 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26. 
And let's read there uh, verses 1 through 11. Deuteronomy, and Katrina, if you would, Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11. When you come into the land the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. And you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in the office at the time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Armenian was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toll, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And the Lord shall rejoice in all the good, or and you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given to you, and to you your house you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Okay, so they, they enter the land. They've got now more than manna and quail. They've got all this produce to enjoy, and yet they take the first of that and they bring it to God and offer it to Him. Now, what would, what would happen if the rest of the crop were to fail? You know, is not the first... <laughs> Something that they, they, they maybe could play in their mind they need. Uh, maybe in some ways, surely not think they would deserve it. But, uh, you know, and yet they, they learn in all of this that they must trust in God. So God's given them this land flowing with milk and honey. And in response to that, they say, okay, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give back to you. I'm going to give back to you first. God, uh, you have you have blessed uh, us so abundantly, and I'm going to give the first back to you. Thoughts or comments? The uh, the more <clears throat> I'm trying to remember who talked about it, but just the idea of being a, in a subsistence culture yeah. where at the when harvest comes around, you're literally scraping the bottle of the bottom of the barrel, and yet that first bit, you you can't set it aside for seed, which is something you got to do. You can't eat it. You have to give it to the Lord, and and like you said, maybe the locusts are around the corner, and they're going to take the rest of the crop. What are you going to do? Yeah. And that just takes a lot more, a lot more trust than we seem to be called upon to do. 
And, and you know, even if uh, we were uh, the friends that we visited in Idaho, they had uh, blueberries growing, they had blackberries growing, uh, the huckleberries, they didn't see any growing, but they were in season there. And uh, it was kind of like mushrooms out there. You know, people would would find the mushrooms and then they would want to enjoy them and they would market them and sell them. And if, but if you asked anybody, well, you know, so, so you, you picked these huckleberries? Yeah, well, where, where did you find them? Oh, in the woods. Uh, there was nobody going to divulge their secret huckleberry patch spot. Uh, but, you know, you, you see that fruit ripening, and you just you can't wait for that first one that you, you're able to pick off, and it just falls off in your hand. You know, oh, this is going to be really good. And yet, that first, you're going to take an offer back to God. It didn't end there, though, did it? Look in uh, Joshua chapter 6. As, they're, as they are entering the land, and uh, they're going to come up against their first city in the land in Jericho. In Joshua 6, let's look at uh, verses 17 to 19. Okay, Tony, you want to read for us? Joshua, Joshua chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. And again, notice, notice about all the, the treasures uh, of Jericho, the first city that they capture in the land. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout. The wall fell down flat, and the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, and the, by the edge of the sword. And then go ahead and read verse uh, 24. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Yeah. So, uh, it wasn't just the first of their produce of the land. It wasn't just the first of their uh, <clears throat> animals and their and the people, but it was also then the first of their spoil was going to belong then to God. That they were going to dedicate to Him, and it came. Uh, they were to bring it into the treasury. Okay, so um, let's read a little bit more. Um, Look at Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22. We've kind of talked about this a little bit, but it was, it, it was that uh, Israel is viewed as God's firstborn. Exodus 4 and verse 22 says, So uh, then... As, as God is instructing Moses to go before Pharaoh, he says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, 
Israel is my firstborn son. So God viewed, God viewed Israel as a treasured possession. In fact, turn to Deuteronomy 26. We we read some earlier in that chapter, Deuteronomy 26, but let's read on. Deuteronomy 26 and verses 16 to 19. And Bob Monday, if you would read that. Deuteronomy 26, 16 to 19. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in obedience to Him, that you will keep His decrees, commands, and laws, that you will listen to Him. And the Lord has declared this day that you are His people, His treasured possession, as He promised, and that you are to keep all His commands. He has declared that He will set you in praise, fame, and honor high above the nations. He has made he has made and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. Okay. There to be a people holy to the Lord. Uh, they, The people are a treasured possession. Uh, some read that they are his special people. A holy, consecrated people. God's firstborn. Uh, and let's look at, let's look at how how James says this in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Enjoy, if you would. I'll have you read James 1, verses 16 through 18. Yeah, no problem. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. No, you're good. Yeah, yeah. And that's so. First fruits. Old Testament concept tied to the Exodus and uh, holy belonging to God, treasured possession, and here that we are a first fruits among His creation. And Heather, if you would read First uh, Peter chapter two and verse nine. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are a chosen people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, a people, God's special possession. So, what is it? What does it all mean? Sum it up. What, what does this all mean to you and me? The primary thing that God asks us to do is to trust Him. 
And he reaffirmed that as far as like physical things um, with the Sermon on the Mount. Just said, why are you worried about oh, your food and your clothes yeah. when I take care of things that are much less worthy of you? So we're called, and we see it again in Acts, that they didn't worry about, oh, it's mine, it's, you know, I've got to take care of me. It's, what does the body need? Yeah. Well, the body needs me to give up my field. It needs me to give up my cloak. Like, he has taken care of all of us. So why would I hold it back? Yeah. If he's if he said he's going to give me food to put in my stomach, then why would I hoard my extra? Right. Because maybe that he's given me extra so that you have food in your stomach. Right. So let's trust him. Give me, <laughs> give, give me my daily bread, yeah, right? Be content. And if I have more, what's the point? Yeah, is it just is it for me? Or is it that I can look out for someone else? Um, we open up with Proverbs, and I think this is the antidote to what Hager talked about. That the first fruits, it helps us remember and be thankful. So when he talked about... Thus I say in my heart, where is God? And he did know that thankfulness helps us remember God. And then kind of what Katrina said, the trust, it helps us to trust that God's going to provide more again. Yeah. And so we give it away or we, we offer it. Yeah. And so it's the end of it, I think, to what we read in Proverbs. Do you find this challenging? I do. It's... uh. It's kind of sobering. It's overwhelming. Uh, I mean, God gave the Israelites a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, can you imagine their response as they're entering the land and seeing all of this, all of this abundance after wandering in the wilderness for forty years, and to see this, this all of this uh, that is now theirs, and yet, what do they do with it? Well. Yes, it is, it is there to rejoice as they give the first back to God. And then God will provide for them beyond that. So we, as Christians, we have made a decision. We've made a commitment to follow God. We've made a, a commitment to serve Him. And thus, in that special way, we belong to God. And he deserves and requires the first and the best that we have to give. And ultimately, that that's me. I mean, look at look at Romans one. I mean, this is the this is the essence, is it not, of, of Romans Romans uh, one Romans twelve Romans twelve one and two Romans twelve. 1 and 2. Micah, would you read that? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We, we offer to God this idea of being stewards of all that God has given us. And especially, perhaps, when we think of all the abundance that God gives. How do we view that? 
I, I love, I love this uh, concept of, of first fruits, and I think it's it's uh, it's challenging. Uh, it is overwhelming, uh, and yet I think it it helps us maintain a proper perspective as we walk day to day. Anybody else? Thoughts or comments? When we think of like Cain like giving Samuel to the, the priest yeah. you know, to, to be a priest like we were already been given to the priesthood. Uh-huh. So why would everything else not be his too? Okay. Okay. Very good. Um, I should say 12. Okay. Um, Proverbs 18. And you can turn there if you want or you can look on the, on the screen. Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11. This is from the New International Version. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. So we're not to trust, as we, as we look at these verses starting here and, and going forward, try to, try to note, you may pencil down some, what do you see in dangers from wealth? What are some of the dangers from wealth? And we'll talk about that at the end of this. But uh, we're, not to, we're not to trust in our own strength. We're not to trust in our own wealth. We're not to trust in our own wisdom. Um, again, the wealth of the rich, that is their fortified city. Contrasted with that, uh, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe in Him rather than running to our wealth and imagining that it is going to provide our protection. It's going to provide our safety. Uh, uh, that, and this, this idea perhaps of uh, self-sufficiency that was mentioned earlier. Uh, look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've, uh, oh, I, I do have this up here too. We have looked at this before, but 1 Timothy chapter 6 talks about uh, the instructions to those who are rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of that that is of, of the life that is truly life. So, again, uh, we don't put our, our hope, our trust, in our wealth, but rather we, we put our hope and our trust in God because He is the one who is in control. So, uh, consider, consider a couple passages um, dealing with the wealthy and the poor. Uh, Proverbs 22 verses 1 and 2. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. 
and then also Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 14. When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. So, the wealthy and the poor. Uh, again, what are, what, are some of the, what are some of the problems associated with, with wealth? Um, we have to... We, I think sometimes uh, we may think that wealth uh, elevates us in some way. But we find here that God made both the rich and the poor. God is, is their maker. He, they have that in common. In fact, uh, God has made both good times and the bad, which I think goes, goes right along with this same concept. Um, I, I, can't, I can't say, well, I give more, so I should have a bigger say in what happens. Uh, the idea, again, that wealth somehow elevates me to a higher position of influence or, or say or status. Um, our goal should be to honor God. So, if we think about trusting God versus our individual decisions, our individual actions, how do we, how do we approach subjects like uh, and, and we've talked about this some before but let's, let's circle back around here what about insurance what about an emergency fund um, what about uh, savings what about uh, diligent effort in my work Those are, those are things that we do. You know, we work diligently so that we can provide. We save so that we can uh, prepare for the unforeseen future. We buy insurance just in case something happens to the house, to the car, or if there's a loss of life to provide for those who are left behind. Does that fit? with the idea of trusting God and not riches? And how do we, how do we harmonize those? We, we save up a certain amount of money to one day retire and not have to go to that job every day anymore but have money to live off of. Either maybe we're not able to continue to work or maybe we're able to do uh, things that are more profitable uh, more beneficial and but yet there's all this money that if I were still working I wouldn't need all that is retirement just the, uh, the is it a tool that Satan has put before us to to uh, enable us to trust in ourselves so along the lines of trust think there's the idea of being faithful to the one we're trusting. Yeah. Um, if we're trusting in God specifically, we're going to be faithful to Him and do the things specifically in like being a diligent worker or working as to the Lord. We're going to do the things for the one who we trust in. Yeah. Um, 
I was thinking about the Proverbs about the, um, you know, give me just enough. Mm-hmm. And in our culture, I think we would call that poverty in some uh-huh. circles of, you know, is that really going to be enough? Um, but that takes the trust to be able to say, I'm trusting and I'm going to be faithful to the one that I trust. Even if that means, I don't know where the next, you know, uh, bill is going to get paid or whatever that means. Yeah. And, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I, 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 I like what you say about our view of just enough we might call poverty. And how do we typically view poverty? Positively or negatively? And it's negatively. Somebody's poverty, well, what's wrong? Why, why are you so poor? What, so it's like it's, it's a negative. And maybe, maybe, they, maybe their clothes uh, are not the nicest and best. Maybe they just have one or two changes of clothes. And how do we view that? Is that a good thing or that's a bad thing? We look at that as a bad thing. Bob. So your question implies the assumption that having that, that savings or emergency fund or whatever uh, means that you don't trust God. Uh-huh. And I, I, don't, I don't think that you believe that. No. And, I, and if you look back at times of famine and times of uh, good harvest, God told them to save it up and plan ahead and, and put that aside. Right. So I don't think that that, is, that means that you're not trusting God or that he has not provided it, is it? But it is a matter of who do you trust? Yeah. Are you trusting that money <clears throat> or are you trusting God? It was wisdom for Joseph, right, uh, to do that. And it's, I think it's <clears throat> part of it is keeping the proper perspective of what it is and what it's there for. I've been blessed. I can set something aside if I need it. If someone else needs it, that's good. Or I've worked really hard, and so I'm going to put this aside, and that's what I'm going to depend on. And it's not, it's, I can do this because I've been blessed. I can do this because God has let me learn from the wisdom, you know, and these things. And if that's all wiped out tomorrow, I'm still going to trust God, which, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. th- you think of, you know, 20, 2008, 2009, there's a bit of a drop in the, the stock market, and my, my <coughs> 401k was cut back in, cut in half. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You think of, your comments make me think of Job. You know, a man of great wealth and abundance, and yet when it was all taken away, he he was not angry with God because he didn't have anything. He didn't understand why, and he I think he had this conflict. You know, uh, if I've been righteous, why are bad things happening? But it didn't seem that uh, Job was so just wrapped up in in the loss of his wealth. The, uh, we see righteousness and riches contrasted. Proverbs 11, verse 4, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. And then finally, uh, 
the vanity of pursuing wealth. Look with me in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Just a couple more texts to look at here. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and Craig, if you would, uh, let's read there verses uh, 18 through 26. We know the conclusion of the matter in Ecclesiastes 12 is to fear God and keep His commandments. Uh, this is the duty of all mankind. And then in closing. Uh, so, Bob is right. Uh, my questions were simply to challenge our thinking. To challenge in whom do we trust? Let's be wise. Let's obey God, as Karen points out. As we serve Him and submit to Him, we obey Him and we do do things like working diligently and we do use the wisdom He has given us that we see throughout the Bible to plan for the future. But when does, when does our, our, all of that become what we trust in versus trusting in God? And it's up to each one of us to, to, to kind of figure that out as we work with each other in that regard. Next lesson will be on helping others. Thanks.